Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 46 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And ironically, Joe and I were both at City Field on Saturday, but we did not know that until about an hour before first pitch or something like that. So a fun weekend. The Mets are still in first place. They take three out of four against San Diego in a home series, which was uh, huge for this team. And now we're going to start to look ahead as well. And it's going to be a big mailbag show today. You guys sent us a ton of questions. We got one from iTunes. We got a billion here from Twitter. If we don't get to yours, we're sorry, but we're getting to a lot of them. This will be the most questions we ever answer on the That's So Mets podcast. So big episode 46 here on our midweek show. Joe, let's bring you in. How you doing, man? Doing really good. Funny that, you know, I tweeted a picture of the tailgate with the seven line I was at and you sent me a text. You're like, dude, I'm going to the game today. And uh, yeah, I mean, we very unsuccessfully met up, though. That's kind of the unfortunate <laughs> part. <laughs> we, yeah, we completely blew that. Basically, we got to the point where Joe and I were on opposite sides of the park. We both had enough beers where we were like, just kind of threw our hands up in the air and we're like, you know what? We'll just buy tickets to a game together and do it that way. Uh, throughout this season instead and we'll have a good time we'll let the listeners know when that will be if anybody else is going anybody wants to meet up we'll have a really really good time so episode 46 not a very popular number in Mets history let me tell you you are going to be disappointed by this number a little fun fact here wasn't even worn in Mets history until 1979 so it took a while for anyone to even throw on number 46 the most notable Oliver Perez, who up until very recently was still pitching uh, and hadn't given up a run for Cleveland, just seen the odd man out of that bullpen. I'm sure we'll see Ollie back on the field sometime this year, really put together a, a successful career after not pitching very well for the Mets. But Oliver Perez, I think he wore 46, the longest for the Mets, is the most notable name. One random former manager, Dallas Green in the 90s, uh, managed the Mets for four years, never had a winning record, never had a 500 record, really, really bad era of Mets baseball. One underrated, Tyler Clippard, but Clippard, great acquisition in that 2015 season, was very good during the regular season, terrible postseason. I think a lot of people forget that, Joe. Clippard was somebody that, you know, as much as the Mets kind of cruised through the divisional and the league championship obviously the world series was tough he was very bad in all three of those series so number 46 for episode 46 a little bit of a letdown number next week's will be a lot more fun yeah 46 another one i'm gonna throw in there so you throw in the random the underrated and i'll pick another that i guess maybe kind of random but something behind them and i'm there's gonna, no good <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go with gerson bautista who 
a lot of people kind of forget about. The Mets obtained him in the deal that sent Addison Reed to the Boston Red Sox. I don't remember. I honestly forget what else they got. But Gerson Bautista was like a secondary piece through 100 miles an hour. Didn't really know where anything was going. And it was straight as an arrow. And he was actually the uh, replacement for Jeff McNeil in the Robinson Cano in Edwin Diaz trade. Wow. Yep. And he's been he, he's well, been hurt. He's not yeah. there anymore. Yeah, he he's been horrific for Seattle. Yeah, he was bad and, and he's got injured. So, like, I don't want to kill the guy for getting injured. But, uh, yeah, just a, a funny, a fun guy to bring up. Mets got him and he ended up being the replacement because the Marins were insisting on Jeff McNeil. And uh, I guess they would only accept so much of a beating from Seattle. And they're like, all right, we have to draw the line somewhere. We'll draw it at Jeff McNeil. And the Mariners were probably like, all right, well, we'll take anything else then because we're still good with the deal and Gerson Bautista ended up being it and that's who they get who is now in Mexico and actually pitching quite well in Mexico you know who else in Mexico Bartolo Colon so former Met Central down there through a complete game with 90 pitches or whatever the other day and I had a I had a couple friends text me to bring Bart back and I was just like yeah can't do the for me it's it's a gimmick at still at this point and you know we need to be past the gimmicks they moved on from Tim Tebow who's gonna be the star tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars and uh yeah I'm, I'm done with the gimmicks I think it's a new era there's no need for it appreciate everything Bartolo did but I think uh I think his his time is done I mean he's 48 years old so yeah and he hasn't pitched in the majors since 2018 was pitching almost at a six era then so it's kind of safe to say it's you know it's been over for Bart you know and I, it's it, it's different for the Mets fans because his last really great year was the last year he pitched in the Mets in 2016 he had a 3-4-3 ERA I believe he was an all-star that year is that not absolutely bonkers does it have a star next to his name on baseball reference yes that's that's then, why I'm saying that, yeah but I just don't re- I don't remember that me My neither Bartolo clone all-star me neither like what yeah that's interesting I don't think they make a lot of errors at baseball reference though anyway yeah it's been it was tough for Bart those last you know two or three years in the in the the last two years in the majors that's uh I don't think that one's going to happen so I know we're gonna have a ton of questions in here though that I do talk about potential acquisitions pitching before we start i will touch on one topic that's just um you know created from us here joe when you look at the big bounce back start we saw from david peterson against one of the best teams in the national league and that is the cubs who always seem to give the mets significant issues during the regular season and uh, even more so at city field as well do you think from what you saw from peterson was it a oh wow this is the guy we saw last year. The stuff's there. The command is there. The confidence was there. Or did you feel like I, I need a couple more games to know that, hey, we can rely on him, you know, every every fifth day, although it might not matter. They, they really just don't have a lot of options anyway. A little bit of both, I think, actually. So the confidence thought he was looked there. great. Yeah, the confidence was there. I mean, he wasn't lacking in stuff in his bad starts. I mean, he's throwing the same type of stuff, just he couldn't locate it in or out of the strike zone. So if he was missing, he was missing by a lot, you know, out of the zone. And then in the zone, if he was missing, it was just down the pipe and getting crushed. So he located well. He clearly had confidence yesterday. 
but it doesn't mean I'm going to expect him to be, you know, reliable to do this every, every time through. He's got to prove it a little more. But ultimately, to me, David Peterson is pitching like a back-end starter does where you're going to get good. You take the good starts when you get them, and you're going to have to deal with some some rough starts. And I think that's what you're just going to have to deal with, uh, you know, with Peterson. So, like you said, other options are quite limited. So he's going to keep going out there, and hopefully we could get a few more like yesterday and a few less like the last couple starts. You know, if he gives up runs, it's okay. Like, but you can't be thrown an inning and a third and two innings. You can't be taxing the bullpen when you already have a guy in the rotation, Lucchese, who the Mets are not particularly confident in throwing any more than five innings. Uh, I mean, he threw five innings the other day, and it's the longest outing of the season for him. So they're they're trying to they typically keep him the three to four innings, which make that a bullpen game. Can't make another bullpen game. So they need Peterson to give them length, even if not spectacular results earned run wise. They certainly need him to be going five, six innings every time out. Absolutely. That is the case. I mean, it's one thing for him to be, you know, he's pitching at a six ERA. Now he's, he's down to five, six. And for your a back end starter here, you'd love to see that get down to the fours. But you're you're 100 percent right. He's got to get through games. You can't be getting, you know, taken out in the first, second or third inning. What feels like every other start. So. And of course, the long ball has hurt him this year. He only gave up five in about 50 pitches, uh, 50 innings last year. This year at 53 innings, he's given up nine already. And that's really factoring that phenomenal start against the Cubs. So before that, you were looking at somebody that almost the same innings at 46 and had given up nine. So the long balls hurt him, but it was great to see that start. Uh, kind of a surprise win. For whatever reason, I feel like the Mets, uh, you know, I, I feel like they don't hit Arietta besides Dom Smith. Maybe I'm just making that up in my head. I feel like they just don't play well against the Cubs uh, very rarely recently. So definitely a big win in the Padres series as well. Like I said, we're going to talk about all this. I want to start diving into the questions, though, because we have so many to get through. And let's start with the first one. This has been really popular amongst uh, whether it's Mets Twitter, whether I'm sure the reporters are getting a lot of these questions. And I know you have as well, Joe. This is from NYJ Steve UK. He says, does Billy McKinney stick if when the injured outfielders returned? Personally, I think he's done enough to supplant Almora. So the way, and you and I have talked about this, a lot of people have talked about this. McKinney's been great, right? And you got to love what McKinney can do against right-handed pitching. I think you wouldn't, you're probably never going to see him when the outfielders are all back, when it's a healthy group, assuming he stays up. Uh, when lefties are on the mound, I, I think he's going to be that that bench piece. He's he's somebody that I think could do serious damage against righties. But it's an interesting conversation right now where we know the first outfielder to be sent down will probably be Mason Williams. You're, you're going to look at it, and that'll be uh, that'll probably be somewhat soon. I think with McKinney, and Steve did a great job outlining it here, it might be down to him or Almora. Obviously, Almora gives you a lot of juice as a defensive replacement in center field. I think what this question comes down to, Joe, is if they believe Pilar can be that significant either defensive replacement center fielder or just full-time center fielder and and really thrive in that role this year. What do you think? I don't see how you can get rid of Billy McKinney. I, I just, you know, the, the big thing is we had this conversation in spring when we were debating does Albert Almora or Jose Martinez make the bench? And obviously Jose Martinez had the knee injury and he's 
out presumably for the year. I mean, I actually haven't even thought to check in. I think if... he's going to be back actually. Really? I read I read like kind of recently, not kind of recently. This might have been like 2 or 3 weeks ago. I did check in on him when they had all the injuries. It's not yeah. a season-ending injury. Oh, all right. Well, I guess Jose Martinez could be back at some point. But part of that debate was basically, hey, whoever plays better in spring gets the spot and because they both had a minor league option left. So that still stands for Almora. So McKinney does not have any more minor league options. So pers- mm. personally, I mean, let's let's just call it what it is. Billy McKinney's been fantastic in 14 games. I mean, his OPS is over one. He has 10 extra base hits. Like you couldn't ask for anything more. When they picked him up, I was just like, this is a guy, hey, hopefully he uh, isn't an automatic out up there and could give us a few competitive at-bats, but he's been great. So for me, he has to stay, even when, you know, Conforto and the reinforcements come back until, you know, the clock strikes midnight, which I figure it eventually will on McKinney. But for now, he's got to stay and be on the bench. And Almora having a minor league option, I think, makes that easier, where, you know, you could send him down. You know, if Almora is ready before Conforto and ready to go and you want to call him up in place of Mason Williams... I'm fine with that. But then when Conforto comes back, Almora's got to be the one that's optioned to AAA and McKinney has to stay. That's my take. Yeah, I, I think that completely makes sense. I don't think you, until he completely, if he bottoms out again, I don't see how you don't keep McKinney on this team over a player like Almora. Now, I think what surprised me the most with McKinney, and I knew when they got him, he was advertised as, you know, you hear a couple of things. Former first rounders, bounced around, has popped and somewhat athletic, I think it really has surprised me how good he looks in the corner outfield spots. He really, he moves very well. He tracks the ball very well. I think that he's been impressive from a defensive standpoint where, I mean, I know Jose Martinez is a guy that is known for really beats up on lefty pitching, not going to give you anything defensively. If anything, he'd probably be detrimental having out there defensively, but it would be a big time bench bat against lefties. I think we've reached a point with this team and Martinez tours meniscus. So I don't think he'd be back until after the all-star break anyway. And like you said, Almora, we haven't seen him do much with the bat in a couple of years, but is a big time center fielder from a defensive aspect. I just think when you look at this right now, you got a guy like JD, who will be back. I think at some point who will probably be your bench bat against lefties. Cause I'm not, putting VR on the bench or or I'm not, I'm not just giving JD that starting third base spot back. And maybe I'm getting into a different conversation where I don't know. McKinney's your guy against righties and the pop, the athleticism. I I know it could be a flash in the pan. I know you've been very skeptical of him maintaining this play rightly. So he's never done it in his major league career, but quite clearly uh, he he gave the Mets the spark they needed when they needed bodies. He gave them 10 times more than they thought they were getting. Absolutely. So right now it's a win. Even if he does nothing from this day, the McKinney acquisition was a big win. Oh, massive success. Like you said, even if even if he falls apart starting today and just doesn't get another hit, like he, he did exactly what the Mets needed, which was come over in a time of dire need and produce something when basically the entire lineup was out. So, I mean, he could end up being just a bench guy or whatever. But to me, he's got to stay until that clock really does strike midnight, which may maybe is after this season. 
you, I may not be rushing McKinney off the roster through the rest of the season, to be honest. I, I don't blame you at all. I don't know how you can. So it's an interesting question. And I, th- I think the book isn't closed on what the answer is going to be there. But the way you laid it out makes sense, Joe, where Almora has options. And until until McKinney flames out, or if he doesn't, he's he's going to be on this team. And he's going to be an impact player on this team. So the next question is from Billy Shutt, and this has been the topic of the week. What are your thoughts on the soon-to-be-enforced ban on sticky substances for pitchers? It seems like no Mets pitchers have been implica- implicated, except by wishful Yankee fans. Do you think any Mets have used it, and do you envision far-reaching effects from the ban increased hit-by-pitches? What do you think, Joe? Um, so I stand for getting rid of cheating, which is what the sticky substances are. Um, I understand how some hitters are looking at it as I'm going to get hit by more baseballs now. But at the end of the day, cheating is cheating. So for me, I'm fine with the rule. Uh, as, as far as do I think any Mets used it? I have no earthly idea. Uh, with that said, I think we're you'd be surprised at how many people used some form of sticky substance. Uh, maybe it wasn't quite the spider tech, which now everyone's posting clips. They're buying spider tech on like Amazon and yeah. like people are posting clips. Like literally they have two fingers on the baseball with spider tech and they're holding the baseball with two fingers. Like they're not holding crazy. it like a splitter, just like two fingers on the seam and holding their hand out and the ball staying. So like really crazy. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, I think it's good for the game. It's weird to implement something mid season, but I think, you know, you want, if you want to get cheating out of the game, you should want all forms of cheating out of the game. And, you know, Jerry Blevins said it best. It's cheating. Call it what, whatever you want, whatever your excuse is. Cheating's cheating. So to me, I'm good with it. Will it, it lead to increased hits by pitches? Maybe. I mean, I guess that's something that we'll have to monitor and ho- hopefully it doesn't get out of control. But yeah, I have there's no indication that anyone on the Mets have used it, but I also think it's uh, much more widespread than anyone actually uh, could think. Well, the data is pretty alarming when you look at spin rate data. I mean, that's the thing that jumps out to me is that Trevor Bauer has been a big, um, you know, a big example for a lot of people of somebody that has unlocked something from a spin rate standpoint. And in very recent starts, his has drastically dropped. And people are looking at that and going, what was going on here? I believe a couple of years ago, and I think it was when he got to Houston, Garrett Cole was somebody that had completely unlocked a new level with spin rate. And I'm not implicating or accusing any of these guys, but these are the names that you typically hear. Ironically, a lot of people don't think DeGrom is using anything I mean, he, and he barely has yeah. above average spin rate i mean if you go that's look at what, right if you go look yeah. at the grom's baseball savant page you know i guess it's sort of lazy to just look at like the spin rate leaders and be like those guys probably are using sticky stuff but the grom's like in like the 60th or 70th percentile in spin rate so he doesn't have some special spin rate he's just he's just special and thrown gas yeah and unfortunately um when you get things like this they're always going to start at the top with who they're kind of hunting publicly. Mm. So, I mean, you mentioned Bauer and Cole, you know, as much as we've kind of shit talked Bauer a little bit on this podcast, you know, him and Garrett Cole and DeGrom obviously are three of the best pitchers in baseball. And 
those are the guys that everyone's talking about immediately. And it's because they always start at the top when they're kind of doing these witch hunts of sort. Well, to answer the end of this question, saying do we think it'll increase it by pitches, I, I think more so there'll be one of two things. The control will be a problem, and that, yes, hit by pitches are factored into that, but I think walks would just be affected into that as a whole, which, of course, leads to more offense. And then you have to wonder, are guys, you know, they know that control could be an issue, and they start taking something off, and that just leads to more offense because you just have stuff that is just not as nasty as it once was. So... It's something to watch. You're going to see numbers posted every week. You know, I know Buster only already started to do it just to show batting average rise or if it has an effect, if it has any impact at all. I think it will. I, I do think we'll see. I don't think it'll be jarring, but I think we'll see some guys take a step back and I think we'll see offense get a, a mini boost, but I don't think it'll be anything too insane. So. Definitely an inter- any closing thoughts on the sticky stuff, Joe? No, just a weird thing to pound on now from MLB, but I think it's been it, going on for years. Yeah. And I'm I'm fine with cracking down on it. It just feels like very weird to just throw a rule together seemingly like overnight. So a little weird, but you know, I have I have no issue with taking all forms of cheating out of the game. I do agree with Pete that a bigger issue is yeah no i think i don't I think, ag- no i no. don't agree with yeah. what pete's wild conspiracy brain was saying i don't yeah. agree with that <laughs> i agree with pete that the altering of the baseball is an issue and i don't think that i don't think that they're doing it by free agent classes and, and i don't know maybe pete's onto something i i didn't take it that way but i do think the altering of the baseball is is getting a little ridiculous yeah find a baseball and use it i, I definitely stand there but End of his conspiracy it's theory. Dead this year. Yeah, but the end of his conspiracy theory is the ball was juiced in 2019, and right after 2019, Garrett Cole got 300 and something million, and Steven Strasburg got whatever the heck he got 200 and something million. So the pitchers got paid too. So it's just I, I don't believe that they're altering the baseball based on free agent class, but no. but I I do think they are overthinking the baseball where it's like all right, it was a little too high for homers this year, so we have to deaden in a little bit. All right, now it was you know, too low. So now we have to liven it a little bit because we want offense in the games. Find a baseball and use it. I mean, it. I growing up, I never thought about the baseball ever. Not once. I never was like, oh, what's up with the baseball? And it feels like that's going to be a yearly discussion now is what's up with the baseball. Is it more dead? Is it more alive? Just find like a baseball and use it. it I mean, it's not rocket science. And if it causes a little more offense or a little less pitching or vice versa, so be it. Just have a consistent baseball because players will benefit from it. To me, mostly pitchers. Like I know that I know of pitchers in the minor leagues, you know, triple A uses the same exact baseball as MLB. And they had a big issue with the feel of the baseball in 2019. Let's just put it that way. So to Mm me, I think they're more impacted in that sense than the hitters are by a dead in baseball. But because, I mean, as a hitter, yeah. All right. I crushed it. It should have gone out. It fell at the warning track. It's a little different when you have to throw the baseball yourself. Yeah. It creates it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So to me, it's just find a baseball and use it. It's, it shouldn't be that hard. 
All right, this next one is from David on an iTunes review. As we promise you guys, if you leave a question in an iTunes review with five stars, it will be answered. He says, if the Mets look to make a move at the deadline, which prospects are untouchable? Who will they have to part with to get a significant piece back? So for me, I think there's really only two untouchable guys in terms of like realistic trade candidates, right? Matt Allen, it to me, is not a realistic trade candidate because of the surgery. And then Pete Crow Armstrong, not a realistic trade candidate once again because of season-ending surgery. So I don't consider them realistic. The two untouchables to me would be Francisco Alvarez, who if you just go to Joe's Twitter every week, he's hitting home runs left and right. 19-year-old, super elite catching prospect. Going to be fun to watch him grow. And I would not have said this before the season, but now I will. I think Brett Beatty is reaching untouchable levels because he's just taken this colossal, colossal leap. And you can make a serious case that if he sticks at third, which they do believe he will right now, if you just go watch Joe's show, then there's a clear opening for this guy in the very, very near future in the next, you know, two to three years or whatever it may be. Uh, That would be it for me, Joe, but you are the prospects guy. And I'll say Mauricio would be the the player they'd have to get rid of to get a significant piece back. What do you think? So significant piece, are we talking a non-rental? Because if I'm talking rentals only, then my list is Alvarez, Mauricio, Beatty, Pete Crow Armstrong, Matt Allen, JT Ginn. Is that that was six? You're you're prospect hugging right now. For a rental, I am 100%. Mark Vientos is the best prospect I'm giving up for any rental. They're not getting anything better than that. There's which no is a huge yawn, which it, like, sure. I mean, Mark Vientos is a very exciting prospect. I think he just got pushed a little aggressively for his assignment. If he were in Brooklyn, I think Mark Vientos would be raking. But the fact that he's in double A, he's starting to hit really well. But he obviously had had a tough start. To me, it, it just depends who we're talking. If we're talking a rental, then my list is long for untouchables. But if we're talking you know, a Jose Barrios who's under control. So, you know, that changes the conversation. Then, you know, it, for me, it's Alvarez, Allen, Beatty, and Pete Crow Armstrong. And that's it. And then, uh, you know, I'll talk I'll talk a Ronnie Mauricio at the head of a deal for a Jose Barrios. I don't really have a problem doing that. But ultimately, they do need the prospect hug a little bit. This system needs to be built up. It's a bottom 10 system in baseball. It has some really exciting talent at the top but it really falls off. And yes, winning is important, but they also have to be careful to not get too trade happy with these prospects too. So you have to find, you have to find that balance. And I know I kind of rode the fence a little bit as far as what a significant piece is. Like, even if we were talking Chris Bryant as a rental, Mark Vientos is the best prospect I'm giving up in that deal because Mm. that's the way I look at it. I look at Bryant purely as a rental. Unless you intend to trade Brett Beatty somewhere and give Chris Bryan a long-term deal. Uh, I, I look at him purely as a rental, so that impacts what I'm willing to give. Um, but if we're talking a multi-year starting pitcher that's young and under control, like a Jose Barrios, that's a guy, you know, the Twins have been... Do you been, think he'll be available? I, there's rumors he may be. Uh, it seems like the Twins have not engaged him in contract extension talks, and they are one of the worst teams in baseball right now. So supposedly they're going to be open to everything. So the cost would be high, but you know, Barrios is a guy that I think would be worth 
forking over one of those prospects you really like in the deal. Yeah, and he's not a free agent until 23. Yep. So to me, I would trade. I would trade Mauricio. I yeah. think for Barrios. Yeah, it would take more than Mauricio, but Mauricio as the headlining piece. Headliner, I think that yeah. I, I think that is something that could work, and I think could actually intrigue uh, Minnesota. Man, that's exciting to think about. You're thinking about 2022, and you're like, okay, Degrom, Barrios, Walker, maybe get Stroman back in the fold. Carrasco. I know everybody's like new thing on Twitter is Carrasco will never pitch for the Mets. I, do people realize like how bad it is to tear your hamstring and how hard it is to come back from that? I just, I think Carrasco is going to be back sometime pretty soon after the all-star break or, you know, whenever in July and he'll, it'll be fine. Maybe I'm just an optimist, but I just, I think people really, and maybe this is partly, I don't want to blame Rojas, but the people that give Rojas the updates, that was optimistic from the beginning of that injury that he'd be back before like June or even June 1st. Don't you think? Yeah. He I, tore I, his hamstring and he's like 35 years old. What do you yeah. think is going to happen? Yeah. I thought, I thought it was a little optimistic, but I think the, the way they've updated on him has been kind of weird and it feels like stupid. Yeah. Very like half-assed updates. And it's just like, we don't really have anything more or less. So Hopefully he's back shortly after you also break. Like you said, I think he, he could be a, a good boost, but you know, I want to hear he's like back on a mound. Like I, I know I saw a video of him like tossing in ramping the outfield up. the other day, but yeah, he's got to start ramping up. He's got to, he's got to move. I mean, if he goes on a rehab assignment, it's not like he's going to go to AAA, start a game or two and just come up and pitch and everything's fine. He's going to need multiple starts at probably multiple minor league levels. So that's got to get going if you want to get him back relatively soon. Let's just put it that way. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. 
Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. All right, next one's from Mike Carbonero. He says, hey, guys, what are your thoughts on booing your own players? Personally, I just don't understand how fans could think this would help your team. And it was a little bit longer than that, but Mike went on to say he doesn't understand booing Lindor. And I, I fully agree. Now, I'll people can do what they want, I guess. If you pay for a ticket, go to the game. I, I personally, man, boo, okay, there's different reasons of booing people, right? If somebody's a scumbag and you boo them, I totally get it. Right. Like especially and I'm talking like legitimate, like not so great person. That's different when you're talking about somebody that is, by all accounts, an incredible person in Lindor who plays very hard. That's another line of booing. If a guy's just like mailing it in, like, you know, this or actually it might have been Sunday's game. There was some point of a Manny Machado double play and many Manny Machado groundouts of the last Padres series at home where he, he Joe, he doesn't, he barely jogs. I mean, now Manny, I love Manny. He's a great third baseman, power hitter. If that rubbed some people the wrong way with what he's making, I'd be like, I get it. I still won't do it. But if he got booed and this was at City Field, so it didn't matter. But if it was at San Diego and he didn't leg out a double play, I get it. I never agreed with booing Lindor. I think that one, it's very hard with superstar expectations to go to a new city. Obviously, sure, he's getting paid to be a star. I get all of those things. He was clearly in a funk, clearly in a slump, working through it. It probably feels worse and worse every time those boos get louder. And he's he spoke to it. He never ignored it. I, I just never agreed with it. I knew Lindor would snap out of this. He's played a gold glove caliber shortstop. He's been a great teammate. He runs very, very hard. Uh, he Even when he was absolutely in the basement of hitting, he had some clutch moments for the team, not just defensively, but also as a hitter. And now the lights obviously come on, and we're seeing the Lindor we expected. But And we saw it firsthand Saturday. The pop of that bat on the home run was unbelievable. I do not agree it, the Lindor example with booing at all. I personally won't boo anyone that wears a Mets uniform. That's just me. Uh, so, like, kind of regardless, I can't think of any reason why I would ever boo anybody. But I understand there's no. there's people that are going to do it. And like you said, they pay the money for a ticket. If that's what they want to do, that's fine. I agree with Mike. I don't know what they think, what they think that's going to do positively for the player that they are showing that negative tension towards. So I don't quite get it. Um, to me, the only potential justification is, like you said, someone who is not trying. If you're not putting forth effort, I can understand that. But if you're trying really hard and playing poorly, you're enough in your head. You don't need 20, 30,000 people reinforcing to you how you're performing. So to me, it really makes no sense. I don't get it. I don't know how you could boo someone on the team you're a fan of, but... You know, every, everyone roots in a different way, and I, I tend to not tell people how to be a fan. It's kind of up to you. Uh, some, yep. some people like to live in a world of glass half empty, and I tend to live in a world of a glass half full. So, you know, everyone roots differently. 
I don't get it, but I know that people are going to do it regardless. So what are you going to do? I mean, there's people that live in a world where the glass is empty to the point where there's like yeah. a droplet left yeah, in it. For sure. So that, it's obnoxious, man. I'll call it like it is. Yeah. And if people don't like it, then then we don't see eye to eye on it. I think it's really annoying. I think it's obnoxious. Um, And, you know, it's once again, guy was playing hard. He's out of it now. Everybody, if you didn't already love him, most people still did. And it's a small percentage, of course. But I'm with you, Joe. I I would not boo uh, in a, anyone in a Mets uniform in that manner. So this one from Daniel Weber. Do you think this team will stretch out Sean Reed fully to possibly open? I don't hate the idea of him and Lucchese tag teaming a start. But I feel like we have severely underutilized him so far. So what I'll say with Sean Reed fully is, and I understand I've been absolutely in that corner of complaining about him not being I mean I was complaining about him when he didn't even I was confused when he didn't make the team considering the Mets bullpen looked a lot worse coming into the season than it actually has it's oh it's performed a million times better than I expected I think he's obviously shown that he he is stretched out to be at least an opener he can he we've seen him go three innings no problem I think the question you have to wonder is Will they ever stretch him to be a real starter? I don't think so. Now, you have to remember the Mets play a doubleheader Saturday against the Nationals in D.C. Then they play a doubleheader Monday at Citi Field against the Braves. So the Mets are playing five baseball games in three days. So he's, I would assume he's, going to have to open one of those games wouldn't you think that right so opening isn't like he like he's basically asking is he gonna be a starter because an opener just pitches the first inning that's yeah what, that's what an opener is so and we've seen him go more than that yeah he is perfect to be behind luke casey or behind david peterson yes and, i agree with that and then throw those three to four innings and then sit for a couple days and then come back in and do it all over again I think that is the best role for Sean Reed Foley. I don't think they should be making him a starting pitcher. I think he's most effective in these short spurts where he can, you know, even though it's, you know, three innings, but he can really go, you know, balls to the wall, really put all his stuff out there and then relax for a couple of days. So, yeah, I, I don't see the reason of stretching him out at this point. I know the starting pitching options are limited at AAA and, you know, a guy like Thomas Sapucky has had some so-so results, but with all these double headers, and you didn't even mention that they have a double header the following Friday too. Yes, exactly. So, yes, so three three double headers in a seven day span, they're gonna need people to pitch. So you're gonna see guys like Zapucky and you're gonna potentially and you're gonna see, you know, maybe bullpen games. They're gonna have to navigate this kind of creatively. And Sean Reed Foley is obviously gonna be a big part of what the Mets do for the coming weeks and you know hopefully for the remainder of the season absolutely all right this one from an insane Mets fan two-parter he says for Joe how do you think the MLB draft combine will change the draft process for Connor since you cover the draft of the NFL what usually happens at the combine outside of the various exercises meetings with teams medical exams etc what do you think Joe uh how do you you know, there hasn't been a ton of talk around this. What do you think about this question? So it's brand new. The MLB Combine just came out this year. I actually don't even know all the ins and outs of it, but it seems like it's going to be somewhat similar in a sense to the NFL uh, Combine where they do, you know, different physical tests to get, you know, their 60-yard dash sprint speeds and, um, 
you know, maybe some tests on their throwing and hitting, get exit velocity and radar gun readings. To me, the biggest thing is who's going to go to this thing. It's kind of like the MLB Draft League, which is an awesome concept in theory, but none of the top prospects are playing in it. I mean, most a lot of them are still playing college baseball as super regionals and everything goes on. And high school kids are, you know, just graduating high school or whatever, and they're not rushing into a, a league. So I question who's actually going to show up to the combine. I imagine it'll be more high school kids than college kids, if I had to wager a guess. But apparently that combine is next week. So maybe I should know a little, wow. maybe I should know a little more about it, but it's, it's a brand new thing. And uh, I look forward to seeing what the results are as far as changing the process. I think it's always good for an organization when they can put data on people. I know people, you know, you're going to talk to the NFL combine in a second, but you know, at the NFL combine, you know, people talk about the 40 yard dash or, you know, whatever three cone, all the drills that you do and, you know, actually quantifying what, what a prospect could do, I think simply helps in, in the evaluation process. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the end all be all of the process, but it could tell part of the story. And I think it's good that MLB is attempting to grow the draft, you know, partially moving it to draft, uh, I'm sorry, all-star week. So it's going to get more eyes. There's not going to be, you know, the draft isn't going to be on MLB network, but the Mets are playing on SNY. So like, all right, I'm going to watch the Mets and not the MLB draft. So they're moving it to the All-Star Week where it could get maybe some more shine. Uh, they started the draft league and now they're bringing the combine. So I think I think they are trying to grow the event. So the combine on the website lays it out like it's a four-team tournament that's a week long at the USA Baseball National Training Complex. Oh, I guess oh. that's the that's the series. Yeah, I don't. It's not saying what the actual combine, like testing element of it is. That's what's weird to me. Now they said there's going to be pro style workout, like showcasing potential. There's not a lot of public data on this, to be completely honest with you. So yeah, it's a it's a brand new thing, and um, MLB still needs to do a better job of promoting its events, but I think they're slowly but surely making some progress here. So what I'll say for the NFL draft, this could be long-winded, I'll make it very short, is that what I'm understanding with this baseball combine and showcase series is that it's it's there to enhance your stock. So if you think it won't or there's a chance it can hurt your stock, you won't go. And you won't get dinged for that. Like, this is so new that teams won't care who goes to this and who doesn't. Now, if somebody just absolutely, a guy that people thought would go in the fourth round goes there and his stuff is way better than anyone thought and he's unhittable or what, maybe he gets a bump, you know, to the third round. I don't know. It could help some people. I'm never going to act like it's useless. Now, what I'll say is with the NFL draft and the MLB combine is invite only like the NFL draft is. If you're invited to the NFL combine, you have to go like you. If you don't go, that is a gigantic red flag. And obviously, a lot of guys opt out of doing certain workouts. They'd rather save it for their pro day where they have the home field advantage, the home clock, all of those things. But you you can't just opt out of like the interviews you have to do with teams or the medical portion. 
And I'll tell you right now, those two things are just as, if not more important than any of the testing. So what you see on TV is not even the most important aspect for NFL teams, the medical information and sitting in the room. I know everything's been on Zoom because of the pandemic, but there will be a time uh, probably this year again in February or March where you're sitting face to face. So maybe this is the MLB's way of ramping this up where they get to having a combine where teams are meeting with players and judging, you know, weighing how they fit with their organization and getting medical information. And they are getting different testing numbers. But this is so far from that, that this to me, I would not call it an MLB draft combine, even though the MLB is. I would call it an MLB showcase or an MLB closer to a pro day where everything is almost more fixed or can't hurt you as much. So uh, that's my take on it. And I'm curious. I'll keep an eye on it. I know Joe will have will be all over it and we'll see how it really does. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about how it might help some guys, which is always great. All right. This is from Always Honest Abe. If you could make one positional acquisition, third base, center field, who would it be? Assuming Nimmo and JD aren't coming back anytime soon. What would you go with, Joe? So don't assume Nimmo is not coming back anytime soon. Uh, it sounds like he could be starting his rehab assignment at a similar time as Michael Conforto. So Nimmo might be a little closer than you think. JD, it doesn't sound like he's coming back anytime soon. And I mean, Chris Bryant's the answer, right? I mean, I hate to kind of be boring about it, but Chris Bryant's the answer. I, you know, Jonathan VR could go to that super sub role and come off the bench with his speed and, you know, give McNeil a day here. Maybe eventually Lindor will get a blow at shortstop and, you know, you could just make it work, uh, bring Chris Bryant in. Like, that's the answer. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've been thinking all along, too, is that if you're looking for a true serious rental piece at an, a spot, it's third base with Bryant. We, we talked about Suarez last week. You made the great point that his contract might block Beatty for a while. That's why he's not as realistic, and obviously he's had his struggles this year. You know, we can go through 8 million pitchers, but this is a positional acquisition in, in terms of the field. And I think, listen, you got to like the two catchers they got on most teams like this. You sit there and go, hey, you know, they could probably use a a good backup catcher. The Mets are in a weird spot where their backup catcher is very adequate in in Tomas Nito. So that's not one. They're getting outfield help back. They might have accidentally or in, in a bizarre way found a really nice bench outfield piece for this year in McKinney. We'll see if he can keep that up. You know, obviously, Pilar was signed to be that, like you said, Joe. They signed a super utility guy in VR in the offseason, and he's he's been that and more. Kiorme's back. We know what he can do. Uh, Peraza was gave a lot more than I ever expected when he had to play. So I'm not calling the Mets a perfect team. That's not what they are. But it is interesting when you look at it, the Mets are in this unique situation now that they're getting healthy and they've been playing well anyway, that if you just take away pitching, right? And of course, we could sit here and easily talk about how they, they could use another starter or, you know, if a bullpen arm went down, all, all contenders look to add bullpen arms, no matter how good your pen is. The Mets easily can add another starter. But if you're just looking at positions in the field, you, it would be a swing for the fences third baseman, somebody that is a, really a star rental. And, and it's Chris Bryant. It's not rocket science. It's really not. It's Chris Bryant. So. All right, from Steve Miller, this is a a good one, and I'm very curious what you have to say. He asks, you're down two with the bases loaded. It's the bottom of the ninth inning, and there's two outs. Who do you want at the plate besides Mazika? So, (laughs) 
Uh, wow. That is tricky because you're thinking you got to be thinking contact here, right? And and I'm not going to get into the specifics of a lefty or a righty's on the mound. I don't know. I, it's really tough, man. And let's assume the team's healthy. In most cases, and I know he had a tough start, but I really think he's going to come back and, and be the guy we always think he is. Most of the time, my answer here is Jeff McNeil, honestly. He's somebody that when he's at his best, high average, uh, can draw walks and 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 make contact to every you know both sides of the field. I, I would typically say Jeff McNeil. What would you say? So I I was gonna look up the stats to see if I could back this up, but I just feel like Dom Smith is clutch. Like I know that he um, obviously ground to a double play the other day on the check swing, but generally speaking, I feel like Dom's a pretty clutch guy. And he, I, I, even though he struggled a bit this year, he turned it on and then he, he struggled a bit for the last few games and then had the home run last night. I, I still feel very confident when Dom's at the plate that he would be able to come through. So I think I'd go Dom Smith. And I know with all his struggles, it's not it's not an answer we considered, but I wouldn't shock me in two months if the answer is just Lindor, honestly, yeah. where it's just like, oh, we this is the guy we thought he was. He, he's a switch hitter, hits for power, can really drive the ball in gaps. And, you know, the thing with Lindor is that when he got over, he's, he's not like a lot of these guys that. And I know he's had his problems this year, but traditionally his big sample size is not doesn't strike out as much as a lot of star players do, which also helps. So that gives him a little bit of a boost there. But it's a tough question because it, it, it can, you can go a lot of different directions with it. And when Michael Conforto is at his best, he's right in the mix there as well. Yeah. All the, right. the overall oh, point is the Mets have a lot of really good hitters. And when everything's healthy, you should be confident with, you know, quite a few people coming up in that spot. I mean, if a lefty's on the mound, I might say Pilar. Yeah. Dude just destroys left-handed pitching. Destroys. So, all right, this is from Michael Sen. With VR and Guillaume now back and Beatty looking very promising for the future, what do you think is JD's future with the team? If he's traded, when do you see that happening given his and the team's current injury situation? I mean, I don't, I don't know what JD's future holds here. I think if he's going to remain with the Mets for the long term, it's probably as a power right-handed bat off the bench, and you know, spell guys. Maybe he has to increase his versatility. Maybe play a little corner outfield again. Maybe some first base and kind of try to be position positional versatility. And then obviously with the power. But if they want to trade him, it's obviously not now. I mean, it's in the off season or next year or something like that. I mean, he's under control for a couple more years, so it's not like they need to force him out the door right now. But obviously, that's an off season discussion. You're if you're the Mets right now, you're not in any position to be trading any major league players. I think the problem is JD has been looked at as an everyday player for the Mets, and I think the Mets are now transitioning out of this phase where. You know, when JD came up, obviously, or when they acquired JD, the Mets were not looked at as, you know, supposed to be a powerhouse, just supposed to be a big time contender. And now as they transition to this phase where those are the expectations, JD should be looked at as a nice bench piece. He really should. And you said it, Joe. He's got good power. You like that kind of righty bat off the bench with power. 
the future of this league is going to be the DH, which only helps him because you can keep him off the field in certain situations. And I think when you look at it, he he's a big time bench bat on a very good team rather than a, hey, we don't really know where to play this guy, but he has to start for us because that's the kind of franchise we are. So it's interesting how, you know, perception is crazy where JD came up and it's like, oh, we got to find a spot for this guy's bat. And now at the Mets, I, I don't think that's the case. I think that he's just that's his future if he's going to be here for a while. And, and I think he I think he will be. I don't really think he has trade value. That makes sense to just dump him. I feel like JD, and maybe this is a little recency bias, but I feel like JD is like a second division starter and like a first division backup. So I feel like he's a prime backup player on a real contending team. But if you're exactly. like if you're like a mid level team or worse, like you're more than happy to throw JD's bat in your lineup in every day and take it from there. Which is why I think in the offseason you might actually be able to get some level of trade value because you know those mid-level teams are looking for starting players. So Yeah, that's a good point. So it's not impossible, at least. All right, this one's from Johnny. If you could take one player from the 2006 roster and place him on this team, who would it be? To make it fun, let's say you can't choose David Wright. Carlos Beltran. Yeah, that, that, the, the that best, has the, to be it, the right? best The best player on the 2006 team and happens to play a gold glove center field. Yeah, I think uh, up, uh, up the middle defense with McCann, Lindor, McNeil slash Guillaume and Carlos Beltran would work out just swimmingly. And I think we'd survive with a uh, Batman on the bench with Kevin Pillar. God, I, I always forget Beltran hit 41 home runs that year. Monster. Carlos Beltran. Stole 18 bags. Argu- 388 on base percentage. Arguably the most underappreciated Mets player of my lifetime. I can't. I, that might be yeah. the most underappreciated Mets season ever. Yeah. He had a 982 OPS. And played gold glove center field. Beltran was a monster. Absolute monster. Everyone but the it's the uh it's the old adage of like, you know, what have you done for me lately? And the last memory of the two thousand six Beltron is him watching a curveball go by from Adam Wainwright. So that's what people always remember and they'll forget the almost thousand you know, OPS of one. (laughs) And yeah. To me, Beltron's an easy answer, but I'm sure you have someone different. You want someone from the rotation, someone from the bullpen. Do you want Billy Wagner as like a dual closer? You know, it gives you a couple options there. So I I did overlook it, and you're absolutely right. It's Beltron. It's it's not even there's not really overthinking. And I didn't when I just quickly glanced at the roster, I didn't think that because I assumed pitching, right? I was like, well, it's not gonna be Reyes, who stole sixty-four bases that year and batted three hundred. <laughs> Because they have Lindor. So it's like, okay, you're not going to do that. It, it's not going to be Delgado because even though he hit 38 home runs, you have Pete. As good as Leduca was for a 34-year-old catcher that year, they don't, this isn't like catcher, you know, and obviously Cliff Floyd was at the, the tail end of his career and, and he said you can't pick right. I just overlooked Beltron. That's absolutely the answer. But what I was going to say is I would have went with Tom Glavin. Because they just desperately need another arm in the rotation right now. So if you're looking at it and going, all right, cool. DeGrom, Stroman, Walker, and Glavin as our one through four. Not ba- I mean, Glavin was great that year. Not gr- not great. He was very good that yeah. year. 3-8-2 ERA. You know, obviously pitched 200 innings. Yep. Just a he super. Was a yeah, he was a very reliable arm. 
to me, the the three answers are Beltron, Glavin, or Billy Wagner, and just saying, you know, you're and not. I got Diaz. That's fine. Diaz needs a setup man. He does, <laughs> especially with how you know I love yeah. him, and I love his enthusiasm. Trevor May is struggling, man. Whew. Yeah, no, he's he's going through it a bit. He'll. I have a feeling he'll turn it around. It seems like his stuff is there. It's just not locating. But that's the that is the problem with being a bullpen arm. Like it's not like you have, you know, if you give you up didn't a pitch for eight days. Yeah, <laughs> but then also like you give up a home run, that's your outing, right? And he happened to give up two last night. But like a starting pitcher, if you give up a home run in the first inning, but you're fine for the next five, people forget about the home run right. you gave up in the first. That's the life of it. So that's the life of being a reliever, and you know. You know, obviously Seth Lugo's come back and looked really good out, Luga, out the he's yeah back. He's looked very good uh, out the gate. But like you said, if you're a contending team, you should always be looking for bullpen help. You can never be too good. So you know, when the real trade deadline comes around, I'm scouring the market for rental relievers too. You know, if people are shopping off relievers, I have no problem trading. You know, a mid level prospect or someone decent if I think I'm going to get another impactful bullpen arm. Because as you get to the postseason, you know, let's knock on wood here that the Mets are going to be there. You don't really have the patience with starting pitchers that you have in season. So like, no, if, if someone's struggling, you pull them right away. So you have to have a lot of bullpen arms to get through a postseason just by the way you manage differently in the postseason. So bullpen, starting pitching, and then obviously, you know, adding an MVP caliber player, I guess, wouldn't hurt. And it's so interesting, the Mets postseason conversation, because you might have Syndergaard back and you ask what kind of role he would be. And it's it's like, well, he'd be a long reliever. And that's that's a dynamite web. Look out. Look at how great the Dodgers have been with the plethora of arms they have for the postseason. The young arms. Yeah. The more arms you have with the big stuff, the better. Like if Syndergaard literally doesn't come back until September, like you know, some are suspecting then September 1st. Yeah. Yeah. If he comes back September 1st, let's just use that as a date. I'd be a little hard pressed to bank on him as a starter uh, in the postseason. So he could be a long reliever. He could be, he could be a setup man, just, you know, come in in the seventh or eighth inning mm, and just, fun. and just throw bullets for an inning. Uh, but you know, let, let's see him actually come back. And when he comes back, if he seems ready to start and is able to start, then obviously he's going to be a better option than, you know, your probable number four right now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Syndergaard comes back and what he looks like and, you know, just take it from there. But obviously you want and as many Carrasco's arms as possible. Back, yeah. I mean, because the Met, the Mets have the best one through three in baseball right now. I know the yeah. big debate this last two weeks is, oh, who's got the best rotation in baseball? And, you know, nobody, th- and I understand the Mets aren't one or two because they, they're four and five spots, but, one through three, it's not a debate. It's a fact. Just it's look at the numbers. Three of the top I, ten in baseball in ERA. It's insane. It's it. truly insane. And Stroman's done a really good job working deeper into games this year. Yep. He's, which is gigantic. Yeah. Stroh has been fantastic. Uh, obviously, Tywon Walker's been amazing, too. And we don't even have to talk about Jake. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, Stroman's been so impressive to the point where, you know, when we were coming into the season, I was like, oh, hopefully Stroh could be pretty good and, you know, we'll watch him leave as a free agent. Now I'm like, I can't let this guy go. Like, he has to stay with the Mets to me. I mean, he has he brings the energy. He's lasting in games, uh, ground ball rate, just just a true pitcher in, a, in an era of fireballers and throwing up and striking out and that's it. Stroh 
is super, you know, it, it's like an old school, but new school mindset where he's pitches the contact, not huge stuff, but new school where he's trying to throw as many different pitches and manipulate the baseball. I think I don't even think they keep track of everything he throws, but I think Stroh throws in the neighborhood of like six or seven different pitches and he just tries things out. Like I saw the other day, someone posts a clip of what looked like a sinker that he threw and someone swung a miss. And I was like this nasty sinker from Stroh and Stroh responded. It was like, no, nah, that's a new two seamer that I'm just trying out. Like this guy is just on the mound in big league games. Like, oh, I got a new grip for a new pitch. Let's see what happens if I throw it. <laughs> Like just a very inventive mind. And I think he brings a lot to an organization. And, you know, hopefully he's a guy that the Mets look to keep long term. Do you think, are you more open to paying him in this era where all starter pitch, all starting pitchers basically become free agents at, you know, a good one will be 29. Most of them are 30 when they hit free agency. And Stroman obviously took the qualifying offer, but he's 30 years old, just turned 30 in May. Are you more open to paying Stroman because of what you said that he's a pitcher that it's location and it's different it's a wide array of wide wide arsenal of all these pitches rather than well I've been 27 28 29 years old I'm 6 foot 6 and I throw 100 miles an hour around the plate and nobody can catch up to it with a vicious breaking ball but, you know, maybe when I'm in my 30s and that goes real quick, things can get ugly. How do you view that? I think it definitely is a factor, the kind of pitch ability. Having that ability is something that, you know, is when you see pitchers last into their mid and upper 30s, it's because they have found a way to be a pitcher and not just a fireball like you were mentioning. And another thing about throw to me is he takes incredible care of his body. I mean, this is a guy that he focuses on the balance. He does the yoga, the Pilates, all that stuff. Like he's flexible. Like to me, I think Stroh in every sense of the word is going to age really well. A uh, guy like, you know, Cindergard, for example, he's big, strong, throws really hard, big, burly guy. Maybe heard a ton. Yeah. A ton. Maybe that body type is not meant for longevity in pitching. Um you know, hopefully I'm wrong if the Mets are able to keep him and, you know, he is fantastic for years to come. But to me, especially, you know, at 30 years old, Stroh, if I could if I could keep him for four after this year, if I could if I could keep it to like a four year deal, I think you'd be doing very well for yourself. And I think he'd be just fine through the length of that contract. Last question. Episode 46, the the very disappointing number in Mets history from Kyle G. With high school slash college kids throwing so hard, are arm issues going to become an issue? I know college arms dropped on draft boards because of Tommy John surgery. Would you rather have them get the surgery now or in a few years when they will likely need it anyway with the abuse these young arms get? Uh, is arm issues going to be an issue? It's been, been one. Been an issue for a very <laughs> long time. That's not new. Um, would I rather them get surgery now? Absolutely, positively not. You do not put like people just with sports athletes, they act like surgery is nothing. And it sucks. You do not put anyone under the knife unless they badly need it. I don't care what the situation is. You don't just go, oh, get Tommy John. So that way your elbow's fine later. No, no, no. You don't. I mean, and a doctor won't do that anyway. So it's not like you could just have elective Tommy John surgery. <laughs> so 
No, absolutely not. And the reality is arms break because pitching's one of the most unnatural things that you could do in sports. That's the reality. And I mean, just look at Noah Syndergaard. He's having the setback right now. It's the Tommy John success rate right now is over 80%, but it's nowhere. It's not near a hundred percent. So you're, you're still taking a risk when you do this, that the guy never comes back the same as, as he was. So to me, uh, I appreciate the question and I know where he's coming from. And I've seen this in my mentions a lot. There's nothing you could do about it, really. It's just uh, the best things you could do is utilize technology. And the Mets are working on building a pitching lab in Port St. Lucie. So hopefully as these guys are coming through a development, they're able to catch mechanical things that could potentially, you know, be a cause for concern early. So that way that's not a factor in, you know, tearing your UCL. But some of it to me is just genetics. It's like, hey, it's going to happen. It's not natural and it might just pop. So I don't think there's a ton, ton you could do, but obviously teams are trying everything in their power because obviously they don't want to be losing pitchers for a year plus at a time. But yeah, no, definitely not as far as, hey, just go get a surgery. Well, you obviously hope that, yeah, you're always going to start from the outset that they, you never have to get it. Now, the reality that unfortunately we've become so used to is that you just you're almost immune to it, right? Like when it came down that Cindergard needed Tommy John, I mean, let's be real. It always felt like he was a ticking time bomb because of his stuff and the way he threw, and I, it just doesn't shock me anymore. But I think you met you answered this question perfectly that you don't want to assume this is now a thing. You don't want to just get the Tommy John, you know, while they're in college. And then, because there is still a fail rate and there is still a, hey, you might not be the same guy or there might be a setback. Look at Cindergaard this year. I know there was no structural damage on the MRI, but there's a setback. So it's, yeah, it's a reality of the game. It's not going away. It's only going to increase. But at the end of the day, you you have to hope that hopefully there's now more research into it that you can avoid it. But you definitely never want to you never want to get surgery. You never, ever want to get surgery. It's, you know, God, the rehab that the guys have to go through in the first place for it is is alone is really, really bad. So it, it's an Kyle brings up an interesting point, though. It's just it's crazy how, you know, everybody's throwing 98 and or 96 and this is just the inet- the hard sliders obviously probably don't help with all of this stuff and I always I find it so fascinating how it does impact the draft something you always talk about Joe and I know quite a few of your favorite pitchers in this class went down during the season and, and I don't know if all of them needed Tommy John but all had significant injuries as well it's yeah both it's, I mean it's hard did. to navigate two pitchers that if I were making a mock draft and all things were equal, everyone is healthy. Two pitchers that I thought would be squarely in play at number 10, uh, Gunnar Hoagland from Ole Miss and uh, Jaden Hill, of course, from LSU. Those two guys need Tommy John. And, you know, JT Ginn had it last year. So who knows? I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see as the draft press process goes forward how signable these guys are to see if they end, still end up going in the first round. Otherwise, maybe the Mets could pull a JT Ginn over again and grab another guy off Tommy John in the second round. So, you know, we'll we'll see how how that transpires. But obviously, it's a bummer whenever these 
you know, I, I feel bad for the kids that, you know, this is their lifelong dream and they're literally months from it and they blow out their elbow. You know, it doesn't mean their dream's over by any means. They're still going to get drafted. They're still going to get drafted high. But, you know, Jaden Hill might, if he didn't get hurt, might have been a top five pick. Or, you know, Gunnar Hoagland could have been a top 10, top 12 pick if he didn't get hurt. So real unfortunate for guys like Hoagland and, and Hill. But, yeah, it's it's part of the game. And I know teams are doing the best they can with technology and to try to, try to reduce it. But pitchers' arms are going to go. It's part of the deal. This is where I get to drop my my one MLB Mets draft take on the show that I texted you already. Uh, Kumar Rocker is going to make it to 10, and the Mets are going to take him. That's my one and only draft take of the season so far. Let's just, there it is. Let's just put it this way. Um, from what I hear, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Let's just put it that way. I'm not saying right. it's going to happen, but it's not impossible. Well, because if I said that like a year ago or whatever, uh, if you said or, it three months ago, I mean, he was the consensus. Three months ago, yeah, he was the consensus number top three pick. No yeah. consensus number one. Like basically, when when spring baseball started, it was like, all right, Kumar Kumar Rocker's going number one. Will Jack Leiter go number two, or who will go number two behind him? And the reality with Rocker is he's had an inconsistent spring velocity wise. Uh, he's had starts where he was low nineties and starts where he was mid to upper nineties, and that gives teams pause. Um, he doesn't have, you know, plus stuff across the board, but obviously you're talking about, you know, a potential frontline starter. So if he were to somehow sneak to 10, um, the more I hear is he's probably going to be out of the top five. You know, that could change between now and draft day. He could, you know, go off at, you know, the next round of the college baseball tournament and that could change things a little bit. But it, to me, it's not an impossibility. I would certainly not call it likely, but it's not impossible because I. the more I'm hearing, the more likely it is that he is not a top five pick. All right. Mets at 10. Kumar Rocker with the big league club 2023 season. Sick. Let's go. Can't wait. He's going to take Taiwan Walker's place in the rotation. <laughs> So <laughs> you heard it all here first. All right. Episode my BS has gone on long enough. Episode 46, closing thoughts, Joe. No, great episode. Appreciate all the questions. I mean, they're coming in hot and heavy. And yeah, please, you know, follow the Twitter. I know most of you do. Subscribe, share it with your Met fan friends. I do see some people doing that. And uh if you have the chance to come up to Connor or I at a Mets game, uh don't talk about our builds, uh, very, very, very uncomfortable. I mean, Con- Con- Connor's Connor's got the big arms. He's not talking about me, no, by the way. Connor's- I want to make that very clear. I didn't meet any no. that's some Mets fans this weekend. No, I'll tell that story quick. I mean, we were gonna we were gonna talk about it, but then just moved on to a bunch of questions. But yeah, no, one of a loyal listener of the podcast, so so he knows I'm just having fun with this. Uh, came up to me and he's like, "Hey, I listen to that so Mets, you know I." Love the podcast, the Watch Mets perspective, everything you're doing. Great stuff. He was like, I'm going to be honest. Like, I thought you were more built. And I go, <laughs> what? What the hell, man? I mean, I don't, I don't know. If, oh, I don't know if I if I, I don't know if I pull off angles or what the case may be. But, man, I've always been skinny as hell. So uh, nothing has changed. I've never been particularly muscly and I don't really care to be. But uh, if you go up to Connor, don't tell him he's not built because he's he's got he, he's got the the biceps he'll take care of you real quick 
Oh man, that when you told me that story, I was dying. Yeah. That is yeah. truly a, a legendary meeting. All right, everyone, we'll catch you next week for episode forty-seven. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.